Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. They have to get into the end zone. And Kelly now turns and says, I can't hear. He's going to run it. Touchdown, Buffalo. They win on the last play of the ballgame. A lot of you will remember that 1989 ending in Miami. Jim Kelly running it in to win the game. He only had seven rushing touchdowns his entire career. That was one of them right there. Josh Allen, of course, already has, what, 15 this year? What, what has he got, Joe, this year? 13. 13 rushing touchdowns this year. It's pretty amazing. Uh, Brian Cozio joins us on the Western Hotline. Brian, of course, you know, we were a little late with the last caller. I had to get that caller in, but I'm going to piggyback the caller as we transition to you, and thanks for joining us today. Um, I, I just said... Don't ever bring up 40 years ago playing quarterback to compare anything in this league. I mean, you, you've seen it. It's just, there's no point. It's a completely different game. And by the way, good morning to you and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Good morning. Same to you guys and all of our listeners. Yeah, I mean, it's such a different game. I mean, it was almost a rarity that any quarterback really like was involved in the running game at all. I mean, I guess what, in that era, there was Steve Young and Randall Cunningham. Right. But beyond that... there there really wasn't like a strategy to involve the quarterback running. Like now, obviously we see it with a lot of teams, including with the bills and with Josh Allen. And, you know, we've had a lot of discussion about, you know, should there be direct calls for Josh to run and when to do it and when's the right time. And so, yeah, it's definitely to, to compare it to the era that Jim Kelly played in is just, you know, it's, it's a totally different game. Would you vote for Josh Allen for MVP right now? Uh, today, I think no. If they win the AFC East, yes. I know that makes the question easier, but uh-huh. mm-hmm. I think if they go on and win the AFC East, I think I would vote for him. Trying to take my Buffalo cap off. I know that I get to see him more than any other quarterback in the league, but when you look at the stats, the total touchdowns, the percentage of touchdowns that he's involved in with his team, it's you know rockets ahead of everybody else in the league. Um, we, we know that nationally the narrative has been quite a bit about his turnovers, but in the end, you still look at like the TD to touchdown or turnover ratio and all these other things. He's still ahead of almost everybody in the NFL. So, um, today, I think if I had to cast a vote today and honestly do it, I think I probably would, I, I would consider Lamar or McCaffrey maybe as my top two choices. I think though, if Allen is right there and if they go win-win and win the East, I think I might be t- I, I would be tempted to switch to him. Brian calls you on the West Her Hotline. All right, let's just stay on the Bills real quick, and I'll transition to Sabres and, you know, last night and what they're going through right now. Um, you know, the last couple of games here, they need a lot to happen. 
But from your standpoint, your vantage point, you watch this team from the outside. What do you think has changed mostly? Is it as simple as if I said, Brian, what's changed? If I said just the offensive coordinator, has that been to you the biggest difference in the offense and Josh Allen over the last several weeks? I think so. I think that Joe Brady's really put him in a spot where he can be a little bit more successful. And, you know, I mean, his turnovers are down over the course of the last month since he's changed over. So I think he's got to get credit for that. I mean, let's face it. I mean, we sit here at this point of the season and look at, you know, ironically enough, a team that the Bills probably should not have lost to, the Patriots. And you look at these games, like the Jets game in the opener. Well, if they just didn't turn it over, even if they just punted throughout the second half of that game, they probably win because the Jets were not going 80 yards on the Bills. The only way they could is if they had short fields, if they were given to. The Patriots game, you could say the same thing. The Broncos game, you could say the same thing. Um, so I think of the fact of, like, look, this team has overcome so much, but I think this. I think I've been so impressed, Al, and I think you've probably said this too, I've been so impressed by this team's depth, especially on defense, to continue to overcome mm-hmm. these injuries and not play perfect football, for sure. But I think the fact that you would have told me to start the season – they're going to lose corner number one at some point, corner number two. The safeties are going to be in and out the entire time. Maybe their best player in Matt Milano. Von Miller was going to be a non-factor. Jacon Jones is coming out of the lineup for essentially the entire season. Uh, more linebacker injuries here and there. I mean, I would have said, oh, my God, it's even worse than last year when we thought that they had a severe amount of injuries. And they've been able to keep them enough in games to the point now where the offense, I feel like, has figured out a really, really nice identity. And they figured out that they have – an up-and-coming star in James Cook and figured out a way to utilize him. I mean, the day he was drafted from Georgia, one of the top things on his resume was, hey, he's a receiving back. But they never seemed to quite be able to use him in the passing game effectively until Joe Brady took over. And even last year, when, or even, yeah, when they brought in Naeem Himes, I was like, well, finally, they're going to use the running backs. And they just never got him the ball either during the time when he was healthy and on the team. So I think that's been a really, really – a huge thing. They've been able to involve him with the running backs. And, you know, when you're throwing to a running back, being covered by a linebacker or, you know, not necessarily the team's best corner. On the side. I also think these are higher percentage plays too. So Josh has been able to, in that sense, maybe limit some of what we consider danger throws for him is getting Cook involved. And I know that maybe brings guys' numbers down like Diggs' numbers down and Gabe Davis has had games where we've had no catches and things like that. But as a whole – has the offense produced what it's supposed to do? Yes, it has. I think it's just kind of been rearranged in a manner now that A, is a little bit more higher percentage, and B, also at this time, seems to be doing things like, hey, look, at they're eight, eight play drives, 10 play drives, 12 play drives, and you're not asking Josh to play superhero ball. So I think it's been a nice mix. I just hope that they don't lose the ability that if they want to go to Stefan Diggs, for a 10-catch game, that they still have that in their arsenal. If they want to fire a deep to Gabe Davis for a 50-yard play, we saw it last week, can they still do that at the same time? And that's where I think they can be really most dangerous, as long as they still think they have the ability to go to that if they feel like the matchup warrants it. Well, we've almost done it, Brian. We've almost made it to 10:45 with uh, avoiding the uh, avoiding the Sabers, which is, uh, you know, no one's feeling great about the state of the team so other things would you know are more interesting but how do you do it man <laughs> these post game shows how do you do it you can 
you, you, I, I, I'm appreciative you gave me a, a opportunity to talk about the Bills. You can, can you yeah. sense the pattern <laughs> in my voice? I've got more energy talking yes. about that. <laughs> yes, I can. I'm sorry to devolve this or bring us back into, uh, you know, the rink. But no, I, I totally can. I can totally feel it. It, um, you know, I mean, losing to the Bruins is not anything new. If you would have said, well, Boston's going to win, like, was it, it wasn't necessarily a surprising result. The Bruins are one of the best teams in the NHL. They've had the Sabres number for a long time here. Um, it's just the reason, again, for the loss and the reasons we're hearing from them from the players that are continuing to just beat people down. And it's the same over and over about, well, we competed for four minutes, and then as soon as Boston scored, you know, we weren't able to handle that. And last night, the word from Don Granato was grind. He's like, oh, we didn't grind enough. We need to learn how to grind out shifts and grind out periods. And, you know, before that, the entire month of December, or the, the, the entire month of November was about compete level. And then we've heard shot mentality. And a lot of this all drives back to effort sort of things and that to me is what I think is most bothersome for fans is how often do you watch games with the Sabres and sit here and say man that is such a solid effort they just they just couldn't you know like talent wise they couldn't just overcome a team that was more talented that hasn't been the case you know obviously Boston last night they lost to but they've played pretty well against the top 10 in the league they have a winning record against the top 10 in the league so that it doesn't come back to the fact that they don't have enough talent to compete with the best in the league. That's not what we're watching. We're watching team. We're watching guys that aren't coming ready to play. Here we go. Another cliche thing again. And again, another thing that has not been new to this season. It's been the same for a decade long about not coming ready to play. And like, well, is that on the coach? Probably. Is that on the captain? Probably. Is that on the players? Probably. Like, yes, all of the above. But the makeup of this team right now just does not coming ready to play. They've been outscored in the first period this year, forty-eight to twenty-six. I mean, it's almost a two-to-one mar- margin right there. I mean, and that's not a small sample size. If you said, "Oh, a two-to-one margin," well, it's only been five games. We're almost at the halfway point of the season, so we're through thirty-six games. So to be almost outscored two-to-one in the first period, I mean, that's pretty poor. And if you look at who's scoring first. The Sabres, it's even more than a 2-to-1 margin in terms of who's scoring first. And if you look at just solely games at KeyBank Center, all these statistics are even worse. So, I mean, these aren't repeating. These aren't new problems. They can't play well at home. They can't get off to good starts. They seem to not be able to either compete slash grind slash be ready to play, you know, whatever phrase you want to use for that on a consistent basis. So here we are saying the same thing, Sal and Joe, that if you were – Talking to me six years ago at this exact time, I, I might be saying the exact same thing, which I think is what's really annoying to fans because it, 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 the saber fatigue factor with these conversations is just is, is evident and it's clear and you can feel it in the building, even on a night when people are down there and it's sold out and people are on vacation and holiday time and having a good time, you go down there and it's kind of a quick buzz kill right away when you're watching them. I felt it last night. We were there. It was frustrating as heck. It was just. Yeah, I mean, you feel it, and I was waiting for the, you know, fire Donnie chance or something to come back up or something like that from the other night. Look, I mean, 1-1-1 against the Leafs, Rangers, and Bruins is not bad, right? You could take that. 
but it's in totality of how they've played that gets you to, but it's not good enough because they've dug themselves a hole. If they're in the middle of a playoff spot here and right there, yeah, we could take that. You're just, you're staying where you need to be. That said, here we go. Blue Jackets, Senators, Canadians, Penguins, Kraken, Senators, Canucks, Sharks, Blackhawks. That's coming up. Brian, if they don't have, that is two, four, six, eight, nine games before they get the Lightning in game 10 even. Okay, what are the next 10 games? If they don't win, excuse me, like six or seven of them maybe, we have to start having, again, an uncomfortable conversation about Don Granado. I agree. They've only had a winning streak once the entire season. They had that two-game yep. win streak at the end of October and in November when they beat Colorado and Philadelphia. That is the only time all year that they have put together consecutive wins. I mean, you cannot make the playoffs. Even in the NHL, where half the teams make it, you can't do that where you only have won two in a row twice. And, Sal, I agree with you. The next 20 available points, this is maybe the easiest stretch of the schedule. There's not a lot of travel in here as well. There's a lot of home games. And the opponents are on paper for if that means anything to this club, gettable. And out of these 20 yep. points, like I think there has to be 14 or 15 or even more for you to truly believe and for people to think like that, hey, there is some hope for this season because there really has not been anything because of how inconsistent they've been here. Like we just mentioned, only one time as they won a two-game win streak here um, to really truly believe that maybe there is something amongst this group. And then it does go to exactly what you just said. Are we back to, do we have the right coach? Does the GM have to shake up this roster again? And now it's harder to do because you just gave a lot of guys a lot of money and a lot of term. So shaking up the roster to have a big impact is now a lot more challenging. What's going on in the golf world? Charlie Woods, Tiger Woods. Are they like, is Charlie, like how good is Charlie, I guess? I wonder that sometimes. He seems pretty good, but he's playing with Tiger in these combined tournaments. How good is he? Good question. I mean, to judge a a 14-year-old, the path that they're going to be on, I mean, watching professional golfers and hearing, like, their path as, you know, as youth, some of them started off as prodigies. Some of them don't bloom until all of a sudden they are playing, like, college golf. So to predict, like, is Charlie Woods going to be a professional golfer? I guess I would say he has... As much going for him, obviously, as anybody ever would. He's going to have all the best, you know, instruction and maybe the guy that's had the best swing ever helping him and his father. Uh, clearly, it's not going to be, um, and he's not going to be held back by anything by in terms of like, well, is he going to have the most up-to-date equipment or clubs that fit him right? <laughs> like sometimes kids right. that maybe have a ton of talent have to worry about or access to practice or access to playing courses. Like he's not going to have that. Um I, you know, name a college that's not going to want Charlie Woods on his golf team. So he's going to have opportunities to play high-level uh, college golf, I think. Um, to answer your question and not to dodge it, it's really hard to predict um, if he actually, you know, will become like a, a professional golfer at some point. Here's what he does have going for him. Part of being a professional golfer, obviously, as we all know from playing golf, is that it's mentally extremely a challenging game. And Tiger seems to be preparing him for all the things that go with golf, even beyond just swinging the golf club, uh, like Earl did with Tiger, you know, whether about the focusing and the distractions and dealing with the fact 
that every step you take, someone has a camera out and every reaction that you give, positive or negative, people are going to analyze and you're going to have to deal with all that. So he's growing up in a different world probably than almost any other kid would be uh, trying to make it as a professional. You know, is it trending well for him? Sure, I do. Uh, It's fun to watch him play because it also kind of maybe reminds us like, hey, there could be more to the the Tiger Woods golf story through his son. Uh, It is fun to watch him play. It would be still the odds you'd say are against him just in the sense that not a lot of golfers um, make it on a PGA Tour. I mean, think about it. If you're just talking solely PGA Tour, there's, what, 150-some players that regularly play. Like, if you take that out of the world, the percentage is as low as any professional sport, probably the lowest. There's so many more professionals in other sports. Uh, You go from, like, what, 1%, you know, half of a percent in these other sports to maybe a tenth of a percent in golf just because there's so few available. Um, Yeah, I I don't know. It's a really good question, but it's exciting to watch him play. I I hope he does it. I think it would be cool for everybody that maybe didn't get to see Tiger play at his best, that if his son has a lot of, of the fun and the magic that he could bring, uh, it adds a whole other generation of excitement. All right, buddy. Uh, did you have a great, great Christmas? Everybody uh, get what they wanted? Everything is great, yes. I actually got my son new golf clubs. Speaking of that, I, oh, I love it. Nice. Say, the same age as Charlie. He's 14 and loves to play. So we got new clubs because he's growing like crazy. So that was that was a, 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 his big gift uh, that he got. But, uh, yeah, it's been great. I uh, I think everybody in the family here were very fortunate. We had a good Christmas. I hope you guys did as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did. Yeah. We did for sure. Other than last yeah, year, we weren't and, trapped. Yeah. That's yeah. true. We're, we're able to, to go out and do things. You're right. Yeah. Being in the yeah, it's still are. I mean, it's actually really warm today. It's a little, little wet, but a little warm. Brian, we got to go. Thanks, man. Always appreciate you. Glad we could do this. I know you're off from uh, your normal job, but uh, enjoy the time off uh, with your family over this holiday break, and Happy New Year to you. Thanks, guys. Same to you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Okay, Brian Cozio, okay. Sabres pre-post-game intermission host here on the Sabres Radio Network. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back. We'll do a brief segment. We'll take another timeout, and then we're going to have Joe Brady and Eric Washington from down at One Bills Drive for their weekly media availability.